God. Anybody, you guys got your Bibles tonight? You remember where we're at on Sunday night, what we're doing on Sunday nights? Anybody? Uh, gifts of the Spirit. We've been, we've been talking about for uh, a few weeks now, the gifts of the Spirit. And, um, you know, I uh, have, have preached this and taught it before um, the, on the gifts uh, and did it like in three messages and did a message on the revelation gifts, a message on the power gifts, a message on the vocal gifts. But I don't know, this time it just seemed like as we got into it, we were just taking them one at a time, and that's okay. The, the, the purpose of this, of this teaching and of, of the ministry teaching on the gifts is to create a desire in your heart for the manifestation of the Spirit and for the manifestation of these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And um, that is, um, that's what it's all about because God does not want us to be ignorant of the gifts of the Spirit. And that's the problem in so many churches today. This thing's really echoing back here, Brother Terry. Uh, that's the problem in so many churches today is that there is just exactly that. There is an ignorance, um, a not knowing about the spiritual gifts. And God wants us to understand about the spiritual gifts. He wants us to covet those gifts. He wants us to desire those gifts. Isn't that right? Yeah. Amen? And so, I, you know, I'm wanting to stir up your heart, to stir up uh, all of our hearts to uh, have a greater desire for the gifts of the Spirit, to see those gifts operate and manifest in our church, in our lives, and in our um, in the lives of, of, of each and every one of us, but in the church corporately. The only thing that the only place that it's that in the Bible that tells us that it's okay to covet, the only area that it's okay to covet, because covetousness in the wrong in the wrong area is wrong, it's sin. But he does say that we are to covet something. We are to covet the gifts of the Spirit. The, the working and the operation and the manifestation of the Spirit within the church. And I believe that it's the entire church. If we can get the entire body of Christ, the entire church to desire these spiritual gifts, to covet these spiritual gifts, then the Holy Spirit will distribute those gifts in the body of Christ as He wills and He desires. Do you agree with that? But it's, it's getting us as a body of, of Pentecostal believers to desire those gifts. And so many within the Pentecostal ranks today are not desiring those gifts. Uh, someone told me this morning after the service that when they walked in the door today, they hadn't been here in a long time, and when they walked into the sanctuary today, that it was just, they just felt the presence of the Lord, the Spirit of God. You know why that is? Because we desire the operation, the moving of the Holy Spirit here in Abundant Life Family Church. We, we welcome the Holy Spirit. And there are so many churches today that have, that have said that these gifts are not necessary, that they're not needed, even within Pentecostal, full gospel, Pentecostal churches today, there are those who have, have just 
just pushed aside the Holy Spirit, the working and the moving of the Holy Spirit. But these nine gifts are given to the body of Christ for our benefit and for our profit, for the, the spiritual benefit and profit of the church. These nine gifts are given that we may ed be edified, therefore the edification of the body of believers. So, so we need these gifts operating in the church today. Now, we have, we've taught on um, the, revel, uh, the revelation gifts, and these gifts are divided into three different categories, as, as we've already uh, made you aware of. The revelation gifts include the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the discerning of spirits, the power gifts, which these are the ones we're dealing with right now. Um, the power gifts are special faith, gifts of healing, and the working of miracles. And then the vocal gifts, which, see, which appear to be and seem to be in the church today, the most, more prominent of, of all the different categories of gifts, but the, the, the diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. And those seem to be more, more relevant within the body of Christ today. But we, um, and so we have, covered, we have covered the revelation gifts, and so right now we're dealing with the power gifts. And uh, we have talked about the gift of special faith, a couple of weeks ago on Sunday night. And so tonight we want to we wanna review that just briefly and then we want to talk about the next gift in the power area of giftings and that is the gift of the working of miracles. We're getting into the exciting, these are the exciting gifts. These are the gifts that everybody gets excited about. Amen? The power gifts. The gifts that, that seem to draw everybody's attention. Faith and gifts of healings, and the working of miracles. So go with me tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to read verse 1, and then we're going to drop down to uh, verse uh, number 4. Yes. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now there are diversities, verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. So there it is. That's the, that's the reason for the gifts. They're given to the church, to the body of Christ, for our profit, to profit us, to do us good, to help us. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith or special faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another, the working of miracles. And that verse 10, that's what we're going to deal with tonight. The working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. And the last verse of that chapter 12, verse 31 says, But covet earnestly the best gifts but covet earnestly the best gifts. 
Then in chapter 14, verse 1, follow after charity or love. Follow after love. That's the more excellent way. It's love. And desire spiritual gifts. Desire spiritual gifts. So the last time that we dealt with these gifts and talked about these gifts, we, we ministered on and talked about the gift of faith or special faith. And um, remember, the gift of faith is different than it's not the same thing that he's talking about as, as just uh, general faith or saving faith that every believer has. Everyone has a saving faith. Every believer has a general saving faith. The Bible says that God has dealt unto every man the measure of faith. The Bible also tells us in Ephesians 2 that by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. So what's the gift of God? The grace that got you saved and the faith that God placed in your heart for you to believe for salvation. But that is not the same faith that he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, number 12. This is a different faith. Faith comes, general faith uh, comes that everybody has. You know, we've been dealt the measure of faith. That faith grows by feeding on the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Isn't that right? But that's a different kind of faith than what the gift of faith is. Weymouth's translation calls that gift of faith uh, special faith. The New Living Translation uh, translates it as great faith. And I like the Amplified translation because the Amplified um, talks about it and calls it wonder-working faith. We need some wonder-working faith in our life. Can I get an amen tonight? Praise God. So the gift of faith, what is it? it is, it's a mountain-moving faith. And uh, the definition of the gift of faith is that it's a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit whereby a believer is empowered with special faith or with a wonder-working faith that is beyond ordinary faith. It's a sudden surge of special faith that comes for special situations. And it, as I said, it's a mountain-moving faith. It's the kind of faith that Jesus talked about there in Mark eleven twenty-two, 22 when He had cursed the fig tree and the disciples noticed that it had dried up and that it had died and uh, they, they called His attention to it and Jesus said, have faith in God. And in the margin of the King James, the literal, literally it is have the faith of God. That special faith. It's God's faith imparted into your heart, into your spirit by the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of the Spirit. Listen, faith, this special faith is a gift of the Spirit that enables you as a believer to receive miracles from God. Well, I see you're so excited about that. Praise God. <laughs> it, it, it enables you to receive miracles. See, this gift of the working of miracles is the gift to do miracles or to work miracles, but faith is the gift that receives. One receives, the other does something. So you can see how important the gift of faith is in the life of a believer. The gift of faith it usually occurs when we're in a crisis situation or when there's a time of danger, when we just, you know, when we just can't within ourselves 
muster the faith, so to speak, to believe for that emergency situation. But it's at that time the Holy Spirit will impart that special faith to us, allowing us to believe for a miracle in that situation. And usually it's in a, in a situation that's in a time of danger. We talked about the examples of Daniel in the lion's den, how he could sleep in the lion's den all night because God had given him a special faith to know that he was going to be protected and be safe. Jesus was able to sleep through the storm on the Sea of Galilee I believe that was special faith that he had been imparted by the Holy Spirit. Peter slept in prison on death row and uh, uh, was, was, you know, the night before his execution, he was asleep because God had given him a special faith to know everything's going to be all right. Amen? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That's the kind of faith that we need within our life today, that special faith, the gift of faith. And there usually has to be, must be a specific need for that gift to um, operate within our lives and uh, to be activated within our life. I believe God wants us to step out and, uh, uh, and, and act on the faith we have and believe God with the faith that we have. And when we've reached the limit of our faith and we need that miracle, then the Holy Spirit can impart God's faith to us. It's not something that we just sit around and wait for, for it to happen. We've got to actively engage ourselves in believing God. But praise God, when we've come to that limit, there is a step farther that the Holy Spirit goes to drop that gift of faith in our heart and give us the assurance that everything is all right. Amen? It's just knowing that you know that you know that everything is going to be all right. That's awesome. That's awesome. But look at in verse 10, he gives, he lists the second of those power gifts as the working of miracles. And so I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight about the working of miracles. How many of y'all believe God is a miracle working God? Amen. He believe he still does miracles today. Amen. The days of miracles are not over, right? I'm in the right church, right? We're still, we're still a church of Pentecostal believers that still believe in the miraculous today, all right? So, you know, we've got to first divine, define, we want to define what is a miracle because the word miracle, when you, when you think about it, the word miracle is used a lot today. Uh, we have miracle whip, you know. We have miracle... <laughs> We have miracle, miracle ear. Um, Brother Terry's not here tonight, but we have miracle method. You know, their company is miracle method. There is miracle eye cream. I just was sitting there studying the other day, and I just kind of got curious about all the miracle products that were on the market. And so I just Googled, Googled that word miracle, and there was just all kinds of things that are miracle products. I didn't realize that we had so many miraculous products on the market that you can order and you can buy. You can purchase a miracle. Amen. Isn't that awesome? 
But there was, there was miracle eye cream. There was miracle honey. There's one preacher that sells miracle spring water. Anybody ever saw him on TV? Amen. You can send him some money and he'll send you a little vial of miracle spring water that will work. Listen, so, so that word miracle is used a lot. It's, it's thrown around quite loosely today as a matter of fact. Um, but, uh, you know, there's miracle drugs and there's miracle detergents and all sorts of things. But can I tell you tonight that God is a God of the miraculous. Amen. He is a God of the miraculous. So let's define a miracle. What is a true miracle according to the Bible? Well, a miracle is this. It's a supernatural intervention by God in the ordinary course of nature to change that course of nature. Are you with me? It's a supernatural. It's not ordering miracle eye cream. That's not what I'm talking about. It's a supernatural and miracle eye cream may temporarily change the course of nature in your life. I don't know. But this is a, I'm talking about a God that is a supernatural God that will intervene in the ordinary course of nature to change a situation in your life. You know, sometimes somebody may refer to a, a beautiful sunrise and look at a beautiful sunrise and say, man, isn't, isn't that just a miracle of God? Well, I guess it is in a respect, but that isn't a miracle specifically specifically because the sun is actually doing what it's supposed to do, what it's meant to do according to the laws of nature. God has set in, 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 in course and in action the laws of nature. They were set by God. Amen? We have natural laws. We have the law of gravity and all you know different natural laws. So a sunrise, no matter how beautiful it is, it was actually yeah, created by God, but it's just the natural course of nature, doing what nature does every morning. There's going to be a sunrise every single morning. Amen? So a sunrise is not really a miracle uh, according, to, uh, according to the Bible, according to the definition of a miracle. But now when the sun stands still, when the sun stands still for a whole day or when the sun backs up as it did for Hezekiah and Isaiah. Now that's a divine intervention in the ordinary course of nature to change something. And can I tell you something tonight? That God Almighty who set the course of nature has the privilege and the prerogative to go ahead and change the course of nature anytime He so desires to do so for the benefit of himself or his people. Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah. So that's, that gives us an idea then of what a miracle really is. When the gift of the working of miracles is in operation, that means then that there is a divine intervention in the ordinary course of nature. It's a temporary suspension of a temporary suspension of the natural order. The Greek word for a miracle really means a staggering wonders or astonishment. And the Bible talks about signs and wonders. A miracle is a kind of a wonder. It's something that God does that cause people, that will cause people to be amazed and cause people to wonder. Let me give you an example. 
Let me give you an example because we talked about this one uh, a few Wednesday nights ago when we, when we uh, ministered on Elijah and Elisha. But you remember when, uh, when Elijah went up to heaven in that chariot of fire and Elisha received the mantle and picked up that mantle and he walked over to the Jordan River and took the mantle of Elijah and smote the Jordan River and asked the question. He said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And the Bible said that the Jordan River divided into just like uh, just like earlier it had done for Elijah. That Jordan River divided and split in two and Elisha walked over on dry ground. See that, that is a miracle. That's a working of miracle. When, when, when those priests, when they were crossing the Jordan to go in to conquer Jericho and they, they, those priests bearing the ark stepped their feet into the Jordan River and several miles upstream, God just stopped the flow of the water Water of the Jordan. All the water flowed down and left a dry riverbed for the children of Israel to cross over. That was a supernatural intervention in the ordinary course of nature. That didn't just happen. That was God intervening and performing a miracle to help and to benefit His people. And that, that crossing of the Jordan by the children of Israel, you know, was, 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 was accomplished and done when it was in the flood time. God, see, God, when God does miracles, He does it when it's the hardest. Hallelujah, because there's nothing. I've said it before. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Come on, somebody. Amen. So, so many, many times miracles are received in the area, uh, a lot of different areas. There are times that miracles are received in the area of healing and, and somebody will get a, a healing and they'll say, well, that was a, a miracle. But this isn't necessarily, when a person's healed is not necessarily the gift of the working of miracles, but is a healing miracle that, is take place, that has taken place in their life being healed of an incurable disease by the supernatural power of God is miraculous in a sense, but it's not the same. Listen, it, that would not be the same as it was when Moses turned ordinary dust into lice or as when Jesus turned ordinary water into wine. Do you see what I'm talking about? A person can be healed of an incurable disease and we'll say, well, that's a miracle. And it is miraculous because there's been a supernatural intervention. But many times those healings, even though miraculous, are a manifestation of the gifts of healing and not necessarily the gift of the working of miracles. All right? So I want us to look at some examples tonight in the Bible of, the, of this gift of miracles in operation. When you go to... Uh, when you go into the book of Exodus and you study the book of Exodus, which is one of my favorite Old Testament books, because I, can, I will never forget right after I got saved as a teenager and began to read the Bible through and got to Exodus. And I'd never read the Bible through. I was not... Uh, I was not familiar with the story of Exodus and the deliverance of, of the children of Israel from Egypt. 
But when I got to reading that story, I can remember, I can still, it's still vivid in my mind where I was at, the house that we were in, the place where I was sitting, the couch that I was on, when I first read the story of the Exodus. How excited and thrilled I was by the miraculous power of God that was demonstrated there in Egypt to bring the children of Israel out of bondage. Everything that God did in Egypt, there were ten, were the ten plagues that came on Egypt, and those were all miracles of God. It was intervention, divine, supernatural intervention in the ordinary course of nature. And God used Moses and God used Aaron to bring those miracles to pass and to bring them about there in Egypt. And numerous times, numerous times, God performed miracles to deliver His people from bondage in Egypt. You know, the very first miracle that, that God gave Moses, gave Aaron was um, when he threw down the staff. He threw down his rod. And he was, he was there he was there before Pharaoh, and uh, God had even told him, said, if they don't believe you that, that, that I've sent you to deliver my people, then I'm going to give you a miracle. You take the rod and throw it down, and the rod will become a serpent. How many remember that? Was that, an, was that, a, was that a supernatural intervention in the regular course of nature? Has anybody here ever taken a stick and threw it on the ground, and it turned into a snake? Amen. Well, if you did, you would probably do the, the first, the same thing that Moses did the first time that happened to him. Remember what he did when God, when God gave him that miracle in the wilderness, in the desert out there, and he, th he said, "What you got in your hand?" He said, "Rod." He said, "Throw it on the ground." And when Moses threw it on the ground, it turned into a snake. What did Moses do? Does anybody remember? He turned around, and started hightailing it out of there. <laughs> And God told him, said, no, don't run away from it. He said, pick it up by the tail. Now that took the gift of faith. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Amen. So here are these men. I know it would take the gift of faith for me to pick a snake up by the tail. Amen. And he picked it up by the tail and it turned back into a rod again. See, that's, that's miraculous. Only God can do things like that. Well, yeah, but the Egyptians... The Egyptian magicians, they copied that miracle. Now see, here's something we have to really be aware of tonight, and that is this. That is that, yes, God is a God of the miraculous, but we never want to follow after the miraculous. Are you with me? Because there are certain miracles that Satan can perform as well. So we never want to follow after the miraculous. I know people sometimes have said, well, I know that, that ministry or that preacher is a great man of God because there's, there, I saw there were some miracles follow his ministry. Well, that's wonderful, and there are miracle ministries, but I'm not going to follow a ministry or a preacher because of miracles. I'm going to follow them by what they preach from this book. That's got to be the first criteria. We as Pentecostals have been the world's worst to chase after signs, to chase after the miraculous. God, listen to me, God does not, I'm preaching my conclusion now, God does not want us to follow and to chase after the miraculous. The believer is not to follow signs, the signs are to follow the believer. Amen?
So those magicians threw their, their sticks, their rods down, and they turned into snakes. And so it's like they're saying, ha ha, we can do that too. But how many remember what's hap- what happened there? <laughs> oh, Moses is Moses' serpent, the one that got the real miracle, the genuine supernatural miracle of God. That serpent just went around and swallowed up all the uh, devil serpents, showing that there's, God's miracles are greater than any miracles that the devil can perform. Woo, hallelujah. I'm about to feel happy now. Amen. All of the other plagues that we see um, in Egypt, all of those other plagues, the frogs, the lice, the flies, everything were supernatural. I've been camping sometime and thought maybe God had performed that fly miracle. Again, anybody know what I'm talking about? But all of those miracles were supernatural. But what about the miracle that God performed when He brought the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage? And they came to the Red Sea. And they were there at the Red Sea and, and, and Pharaoh, and uh, you know, Pharaoh had, had, a, he had, he had thought this thing over and said, why did we let them go? Why did we turn? We, we, we're going to go get them and bring them back into captivity. So he gets all of his army together, and the army of Pharaoh is pursuing after the children of Israel. And they're there. I love to preach on this. I know y'all have heard it before, but uh, just let me do it, okay? And they're there at the, the Red Sea, and they see the armies of the Egyptians coming after them. And there's a wilderness on one side. There's mountains on the other side. The Red Sea's in front of them. There's no way out of this situation. This is an impossible situation. The only way, listen to me, the only way they're getting out of this is they're going to have to have a miracle. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been in that place where you're not getting out? There's no way out. You can't see any way out. You're going to have to have a supernatural intervention by the Lord to get you through that or to get you out of that situation. And so they begin to cry out to the Lord and God spoke to Moses and God told him, said, just take the rod that's in your hand and tell the children of Israel to go forward. Go forward? How are we going to go forward? I mean, here's the, the Red Sea's there in front of us. How are we going to go forward? And he said, take the rod and stretch it out over the sea. And he did that, and God said, God said, let me, let, me, let, me, let me read it to you. God said, I tell you what I'm going to do in Exodus chapter 14. Hallelujah. Exodus chapter 14. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, verse 13, Fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will do to you, show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see no more Again, no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. He told Moses, he said, don't don't cry to me. Just speak to the children of Israel to go forward. Lift up your hand, lift up your rod, and stretch it out over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
And, and, and so that's exactly what he did. The Bible says Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea and the Lord, the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the children of Israel, come on somebody, and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground and the waters were a wall of them to them on the right hand and a wall of them to them on the left hand. Hallelujah. This is a miraculous, supernatural intervention of the Lord in behalf of God's people to open up that Red Sea. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? He causes a strong east wind come to come and divides that sea there's a wall of water on one side and a wall of water on the other side. And the Lord has them to go through. This was a divine intervention in the ordinary course of nature. I'm telling you that our God tonight is so awesome. Amen? He can make a way where there is no way. Even if he has to perform a miracle to do it for you, he can and will make a way for you. Amen? Hallelujah. You know, there are those that try to, uh, try to disprove the miracles of the Bible. And of course, you, you've probably heard that before, that there are then those that said, well, actually what happened was where they crossed, where Israel crossed the Red Sea was really the shallowest part. <laughs> and it was really not very deep, so it wasn't really a miracle that they could go across in that particular place. Do you realize, I forget what the name John Richardson had for those theologians. Embryonic or something like that, was it? <laughs> Amen, they weren't fully developed yet. <laughs> Amen. But, but these, these theologians that sit around and try to do what they can to s explain away the miraculous power of God and the working of God. They said, you know, well, it was, the, it was the Sea of Reeds and it was pretty shallow and so it wasn't really a, a miraculous thing for them to walk or to cross over. Well, number one, it said that they crossed on dry ground, amen. Um, and it said that there was a wall. Well, I just choose to believe the Bible, amen. And it said there was a wall of water on one side and a wall of water. The, actually, the, the waters of the Red Sea congealed and was frozen there. It was like two big walls of ice on each side when God sent that wind. But then you get to thinking about it and say, well, so, so what? Tell this, tell this underdeveloped theologian that if he's really right and if there was only a couple of feet of water there, God still performed a great miracle because he, God himself, drowned an entire Egyptian army in just ankle deep water, if that's the case. You can't get away from the miraculous power of Almighty God. He is a miracle worker. He is a promise keeper. He is the Lord God Almighty and there's nothing that's impossible with Him. Amen? So we need to start believing God for miracles. I just believe that He's the same God today as He ever, ever was in the Bible. He's miraculous. Amen. So, uh, you know, just you study these on your own. Most of us know these, but Elijah, 
goes to, Zarephath, to Zarephath during the, the famine, and there's the widow. Remember that? God sent him there. God had been providing for him down there at the brook Kirith. Um, ravens were bringing him food every day. That's, is that miraculous provision? Huh? Is that, do, do, do ravens just normally go and get food and bring it to your door? To your window? No. I mean, that's a supernatural intervention by God. And then the brook dries up, and so God sends Elijah up to, the, to, to Zarephath, and he says, there's a widow woman there that will sustain you. Well, she's, she's broke, busted, and disgusted. Amen? She doesn't have anything. Um, she's, she's down to her last little bit of meal in a barrel, last little bit of oil in, a, in, her, in her bottle, and she told Elijah, she said, I'm going to make my uh, cake for me and a cake for my son, and we're going to eat that that's going to be it. And Elijah told her, you know, make me one first. If you'll make a cake for me first, and I've said this before, just like a Pentecostal preacher, ask for your last cake. <laughs> Amen. Make me one first. If you'll make me one first, God will bless you. That's what he was saying. And he wasn't just saying that to get a cake out of her. He was saying that because that's what the Lord had told him to tell her that he would do. It was a test of her faith. If she would obey what the Lord said, God, listen to me, God was getting ready to perform a miracle for her and for her family and for everybody in her household, for the prophet Elijah. God said, Said through Elijah, said, don't you be afraid. If you'll make me that cake first, if you'll put God to the test, if you'll be obedient, then here's what the Lord says to you. All through the rest of this famine, your meal barrel won't run dry. Your cruise of oil won't, won't fail. You'll have plenty throughout the rest of the famine. Can I tell you she obeyed the Lord? And guess what? Her and Elijah and her son and her household had plenty to eat throughout the rest of the famine, throughout the rest of the drought. Every time they went to that meal barrel and dipped down in there, there was enough meal to make, to make breakfast. There was enough meal to have some lunch. Every time they dipped down there, praise God, that was a supernatural intervention of God in that natural course of nature. He multiplied her food. Amen miraculously. What about that widow in the fourth chapter of 2 Kings that had the creditors after her? Huh? IRS was knocking at the door. No, it was, it was creditors that she had. Going to take her sons for bondmen. She came to Elisha and he said, what do you have in the house? He said, I don't have anything, just a little bitty, little bitty jar of oil is all I've got. And through the word of the Lord... Elisha told her to go borrow vessels, empty vessels. Don't borrow a few. Get as many as you can. Bring them into your house. Get your sons in there. Shut the door upon you and begin to pour from that, that little pot, that little jar of oil, begin to pour it into those vessels. And they did what the man of God told them to do. And they began to pour the oil into the vessels one at a time. And, and she... 
man, just kept pouring. She'd fill this up, have a big old crock here, you know, and she's pouring out of this little jar, pouring the oils flowing and filling up that crock, filling up that jar, filling up that, that, that you, uh, you know, that receptacle, that pan, that pot, everything that she had borrowed. And that's why the Lord told her, don't borrow just a few, get as many as you can. Because, because listen, that oil was going to flow as long as there was an empty vessel. There's a, there's a sermon right there. There's a message right there there. That oil was going to flow. Oil being a type of the Holy Spirit. That oil was going to be poured out and was going to flow and was going to fill as long as there was an empty vessel for it to be poured into. Oh, I've just got to digress a little bit and say, right here at Abundant Life, I want us to always present to the Lord a vessel to be filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. She filled that last vessel and said, bring me another one. They said, there isn't any more. And when there was no more empty vessels, the oil stopped flowing. And she looks around, and she has got a house full of oil. God had supernaturally multiplied that little jar of oil and told her then, go sell the oil, pay off your creditors. Now listen to this. Pay off your creditors supernaturally got her out of debt, but then he said, and take what's left over and live, you and your sons, live off the rest. Amen. Built-in retirement account there. God took care of her for the rest of her days. That was a supernatural intervention in her life by the power of God. That was the gift of the working of miracles operating through the prophet Elisha. The New Testament as well is, is, is filled with the miraculous. Filled with the miraculous. When well, We talked about it a few weeks ago when Jesus calmed the storm, spoke to the storm. That was a supernatural intervention when that storm immediately stopped. The wind immediately stopped blowing. God came on the scene and stopped that storm by a miracle. Amen? When Jesus turned the water into wine. How about when Jesus, how about when, when the disciples were in that other storm and they were out on the, on the sea and Jesus wasn't on the boat with them. Remember that? Yeah. And, the, and, the, and the, oh, the storm was so fierce and they were all afraid again and now they're out there without Jesus. He's not there. What are they going to do now? Well, they should have learned from Jesus what to do. But they're, they're, they're all upset. And the Bible says that Jesus came to them walking on the water. Was that a supernatural intervention in the ordinary course of nature? Anybody here done any water walking lately? Amen. No, no. It takes, you know, it can be done, but it takes, it takes an intervention of the Lord to do that. And, and not only that Jesus did it, but Peter did it as well. He didn't do it quite as good as Jesus did, amen, but he did get the job done. You know, we always want to criticize Peter. He gets out on the, uh, on the sea there, and he's walking on the water, and he gets his eyes off Jesus. We know that. He looks at the waves. He becomes fearful. He, gets, he becomes afraid, and he begins to sink, and he cries out Jesus to, for Jesus to save him. Jesus pulls him back up. 
But I've said this before. There was still, you know, we criticized. Well, Peter walked on the water for a little while, but then he lost his faith and he went down. How, how do you think that Peter got back to that boat? I don't know how far out in the sea he walked before he began to go down, but how do you think he got back? Do you think Jesus threw him over his shoulder like a sack of potatoes and carried him back? I can't picture that. I believe Jesus took him by the hand and both of them together walked on the water to get back to the boat. Woo, hallelujah. It's the miraculous, amen. It's the miraculous. God is a miracle-working God. Can I get an amen tonight? Hallelujah. 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 We could go on and on and on, but I'm going to bring it to a close. When Jesus, had, when Jesus had Peter to throw his nets out, after, after, listen, after Peter had already fished all night long, and didn't get one stinking fish all night long. He comes back into the shore. Jesus wants to use his boat for a pulpit. Peter allows him to do it. Then Jesus, the preacher, is going to tell the expert fisherman how to catch fish. That'd be like me trying to tell Terry and Wes how to fish. I don't, you know, they'd be the ones needing to tell me how to fish. And Hank, tell me how to fish and catch fish. Amen. If I, go, if I would go with those guys, I'd want them to show me what to do. I wouldn't be out there trying to tell. Here's Jesus saying, hey, launch out into the deep and let down your net. And, 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 and Peter, says, Peter says to him, Lord... We've been out there all night. We just got back. We've been out there fishing all night long and have not caught one single little fish. Nothing, not a, not a nary one. We, we got skunked. We didn't get anything. And But nevertheless, if you say so, I think Peter was just saying, we'll humor you. We'll just show you. Amen. But... At your word, because you said so, we'll go out and let down the net. Jesus told them to let down the nets, plural, but Peter said, we'll put one down. And when they let down the net, there was a supernatural intervention in the ordinary course of nature. Come on, somebody. Oh, be good to have the miracle working when we're out fishing. Amen. Hallelujah. And all of a sudden, God Almighty gave a call to those fish and filled that net up. And it was so full of fish that it began to break. And here these fishermen that hadn't caught anything all night long, filled up two boatloads of fish that day, that morning. God is a miracle working God. Hallelujah. We never want to sell God short. We never want to come to the place where we think, well, this is an impossibility. We've got to believe in 2019. We've got to believe in a God of the miraculous. He wants to give us miracles in our life. He wants to show himself strong in our behalf. Can I get an amen? Give him, come on, give him a praise. Woo! Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus 
performed more miracles than anyone else in the Bible. But Jesus, and you know, we say, well, that was Jesus. He's the Son of God. And He was. And He is. But when Jesus, in His earthly ministry, Jesus did not minister or operate or function in His earthly ministry as God, but as the Son of Man, anointed, filled with, and, and anointed with the Holy Spirit. He, he laid aside, he didn't lay aside his deity. He always was God. 100% God, 100% man. But he laid aside during his earthly ministry the attributes of deity to be a man, to be a, the perfect man, the God-man, anointed with and used by the Holy Spirit. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel, to open the eyes of the blind, to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach deliverance to the captives. Isn't that what he said? The Bible says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So Jesus performed more miracles than anyone else in the Bible. But this is what Jesus said. Here is what Jesus said. In John 14, 12, Jesus said this. He said, the works that I do. Is anybody here tonight? Jesus, how many believe the word of God? Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also and greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. What did he mean? I'm going back to the Father and I'm going to send you the same, oh hallelujah, I'm going to send you the same Holy Ghost that's, that I have, the same anointing that I have. I'm going back to the Father and you will receive power from on high and it's because of that power from on high that you will be able to do the same works that I do. Amen? It's not, and, and you know people say, well, how could you perform a greater miracle than what Jesus did in, 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 the, in the miracle of raising Lazarus? And I don't believe that Jesus was meaning that we would perform greater miracles than he did, but the greater works is this. Jesus was one man baptized in the Holy Ghost. He had 12 disciples that he gave authority to. He had 70 others that he gave authority to to heal the sick and to cast out devils and, and to do the works of the Lord. But, but now, praise God, there's more than 70. There's more than 82. Hallelujah. There's hundreds and hundreds of thousands or millions that are filled with the Holy Ghost. And he was saying the greater works will be there will be more. Everybody will have the opportunity to have these gifts of the Spirit operating in their life and within the church of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Woo, hallelujah. Amen. That ought to make, that'd make a Presbyterian shout. It should get us excited. He's provided for us the full power of the Holy Ghost. Worship team, make your way back to do the works that he did.
the same works. We ought to get a hold of that. We ought to get a hold of that. Of that John 14 and 12. He that believes on me, the works that I do. Throughout the book of Acts, throughout the, in the early church, um, there were many miracles that were done as well by those in the early church. Study the book of Acts. I, uh, I tell you, we're still, we're still in that same dispensation. You know, we talk about the early church and the church today, and there really isn't supposed to be that distinction because the early church that we talk about, that first century, that first century church that was established by Jesus should be the same. We should be, and we are the same church. It should, there shouldn't be that. We've drifted, listen, we have drifted so far away from what the Lord intended His church to be. It's not, you know, and then we got these guys that dream up this doctrine of cessation that says, well, all of that ceased with the death of the last apostle. That's false teaching. That's not true. There's no in the Bible that teaches that. The problem is we've had to make up an excuse for our lack of power and our lukewarmness, amen, and our lack of desire for seeking God and seeking the gifts of the Spirit and the moving of God and the miraculous. All through the book of Acts, Jesus had promised them that these signs will follow believers. He gave them five signs before he went away that said that would follow believers. We'd speak with new tongues. We'd lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. Five signs. Eat or drink any deadly thing. Uh, wouldn't hurt us. We'd tread on serpents. They, we'd take up serpents. John talked about that the other night, about getting snake bit, about Paul being snake bit. That was a gift of the working of miracles. Amen. That was faith and miracles working together. When Paul could just go, like that. Shake it off. But all through that book of Acts church, those apostles, those apostles performed miracles. Philip the evangelist translated in bodily form from Gaza to Azotus by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was picked up when he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch and sat down in the city 25 miles away. That was an intervention by the God to supernaturally transport him. Amen? many miracles in the lives of Peter and Paul and the other apostles. But not only that, not only that, but even the Bible's very plain that even the deacons can I get an amen from the deacons? Even the deacons that's why the deacons were to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because even the deacons like Stephen and Philip performed a number of miracles. See the gift of the working of miracles should be should be a regular occurrence in the church today just as it was in the church in the book of Acts we have one pattern for the church and it's the book of Acts and the epistles and those miraculous works are for the church today amen hallelujah God has not changed. He's still a miracle worker. And He has promised us, He has promised us in His Word, Jeremiah 33 and verse 3, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which
which thou knowest not. The miraculous God is wanting to do it. Second Chronicles 16 says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth seeking for somebody that he can show himself strong in their behalf whose hearts are perfect toward him. Stand with me tonight. How many are going to believe?